Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations around the country, primarily in the areas of board excellence, strategy, and organizational development. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast uh, today, all of our uh, listeners. I'm, I'm sure that you're going to enjoy today's episode. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the unique role that nonprofit organizations play in, in challenging times, in times of crisis, and the unique ways in which nonprofit organizations can support one another during these times. And for this conversation, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Trey Coley. Trey, welcome to the, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Greg. Thanks so much. Trey, I know you're the executive director of, a, of an arts organization in Nebraska. Um, Correct. And I'm going to try and pronounce it the best I can. Uh, my pronunciation is Abend Music. Uh, that is correct. You're good. Oh, That's I great. got it. Okay, I feel, I feel good about that. Great. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the organization. Sure. Abend Music is a half-century-old performing arts organization here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, we started out in 1972 as a music ministry of a very, very large church that is historically present here in Lincoln called First Plymouth Church. And I always add that part of our, pardon me, the, uh, they use the word, but that part of our genesis because I think a lot of arts organizations have come out of the ministry sphere when it comes to music. And so for us, those first 10 years were really about making a presence, making an impact, but we didn't limit our, our sort of footprint to just the musical can within that church. We really were created to think about a classical performing arts series wherein we could bring in performing artists. And so this really started what we have focused on for the last 50 years now, which is being a presenting arts organization, which is to say, we have our own chorus, we have local musicians with whom we work, but we also bring in touring musicians. Our season is typically about September to May, so roughly a school year. We have a couple of regular season programming pieces that we do like a Christmas concert, a New Year's Eve last blast featuring a, an amazing brass ensemble. Uh, but one of the things that we've really tried to do as an arts organization the last five years is think about that word impact, not here just in Lincoln, but also within the Midwestern region. And, and for us, that means partnerships and, and arts education done innovatively. And so I'll, I'll simply close my answer by saying one of the things that we did this last season right before the COVID pandemic hit was uh, bring in an American ensemble known as the American Spiritual Ensemble, which specifically focuses on the African-American musical genre. And for us, we had slated that out in the world of arts orgs, you know, you're doing the contracting like two years out with, with talent managers and you're, you're talking about rates and pay. So this had been booked way out and we had intentionally booked it for MLK weekend 2020. And that alone was great. It's, it's an opportunity to, to talk about a, a genre, a subgenre of music that really doesn't receive the acclaim and the press and the, the discussion and the funding that it deserves. But about nine months out from that, uh, January 2020, so looking into the late spring, summer of 2019, we said, you know, let's, and again, I offer this as an example of how the music operates. We said, let's think about partnering with a local community center that, that could uh, make this conversation about this particular form of music uh, continue even after the ensemble leaves. And so we partnered with the Malone Center, which is an African-American community center. And uh, we formed a youth ensemble that brought in youth from that community center. We provided the conductor, we provided the, the funding and the space, they didn't have to provide anything. And I wanna stop here and say, we didn't just bring that to the amazing work and the amazing staff of Malone. We stopped to say, 
a partnership is reciprocal and mutually beneficial. So what would you like out of this if, you, if this is something of interest? And they said, everything we do is educational. So the concept of youth choir is great. And they told us of all the amazing programming we have, we don't have musical element for our after-school programming. So it's sort of a win-win for both. And at the end of that, uh, when the American Spiritual Ensemble came, the youth from that Malone Center Youth Ensemble, and they, they named themselves the Mighty Malone Singers, they performed two pieces with uh, the Spiritual Ensemble. And, and I, I offer that as an example of what our music does because for me, it was a reminder of how important the arts are. And it was a reminder that the phrase, I think it's a phrase that's used a lot in the arts and in society, representation matters, has real resonance. After the concert, uh, some of the, the African-American youth uh, looked at our board members who were seated nearby and they said, those ensemble members, they're a part of our community. And you know, Greg, in any given, I've said several times now uh, in, in Lincoln, but in any given concert season and probably your community and mine, if you look at the touring arts posters or websites, and for those who are listening to this on a podcast, uh, Greg and I are Caucasian, the artists will quote unquote look like us. So to be uh, a child of color in Lincoln, Nebraska, and to be able to look at the stage and see a world-class ensemble performing, it, it, it means something and it plants a seed and not just that you can do anything you want to and you'll be supported in that, but that the arts bring us together as a community and, and that will be supported. So that, that one concert this last season really sort of reflects, I think, the, the highest of what our music has accomplished. And uh, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary in 2022. And I'll just uh, add, we never thought we'd be planning for a 50th anniversary in the midst of a pandemic, but we're making that work as well. <laughs> Trey, I think you alluded to um, something really important, and it's a shift that I've seen in arts organizations, arts nonprofits, um, in the way they view the role of their, of, of their art, the way they uh, view the role of their mission in representing larger issues within the community. It's not just about entertaining, it's not just about educating, but it's about bringing people and elements of the community together, highlighting critical community issues, addressing those through the arts. Um, I wonder if you could just, uh, just speak a little bit about how you've seen your organization make that shift into more of a community leadership role through the arts. That's such a great question because I think any, you know, in, in the world of the, the nonprofit sector, we're all, we're all used to that question about impact and partnership. And I, I think that in the arts, typically for years, the, the question on a grant would be how, how many people attend your concert? How many volunteers did you have? You know, those sorts of things. And we've known for a good decade that that does not measure what the arts should be and, and what the arts could be. So to your question, we really started thinking about the very wording of our mission and vision in terms of how we express that partnership and how we express what the arts are to the broader community. And so uh, our, our tagline became music that unites, music that inspires. And, and so for us, optically, starting with that very phrase, that's, that's making a statement to the community about what Auburn Music does and how we do it. Uh, but as far as the shift, we really started to look at every season because that's where it starts, right? That's where you can look at your, your annual operating budget, your, your concert season, and you really have to ask yourself, are we actually offering artistic content and a season lineup that isn't just the important sort of Cadillac pieces that we normally offer, once again, a, a Christmas event, a July 4th event, but things that can bring people together and inspire community conversations 
And we started probably five years ago challenging ourselves to look at, because I think this is how that's done. You can't just say to your community or say to your, your in this case, Midwestern region, um, hey, we're different. Hey, we want to start com community conversations. You really have to, to look at your internal artistic creation from the get-go. And so for us, we said we need to consider ensembles and pieces and performances and composers that, that really aren't being featured otherwise. So as an example of that, five years ago, uh, we featured uh, a concert event titled Remembering Matthew Shepard, which was a musical event not only surrounding Matthew Shepard's legacy, but also uh, discussing everything his parents have accomplished in terms of advocacy, et cetera. And we actually held that not in our typical performance space of the first, our, our performance space is uh, the beautiful sanctuary of First Plymouth Church in Lincoln, but we went to a larger uh, arts organization here in Lincoln and really tried to fill the space. Uh, coming into this particular concert season, 2020, 2021, even before uh, the, the higher emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement, which I want to note has been going on for a number of years itself and is vital and is now receiving the societal attention it deserves, we had already challenged ourselves to say, uh, are there composers of color? Are there, are there composers that have been historically underrepresented that we can bring into some of our performances and some of our discussions? So you ask about the shift, that's been a real shift for us. And I think that we're not, we're probably, no, probably, we're not alone in that as an arts organization, but it's sort of this constant challenge to say, let's not do business as usual as we have maybe done it. Let's, let's really start to look at this as, if you think of it as the good old SWOT analysis, it's not a weakness to do business differently. It's an opportunity. Um, and, and it's not a threat, it's a strength. And I know those are silly bandied about words in the nonprofit sphere, but it really is. That's how we start to see it. And we have a small staff team, three, three staff persons. We work together to ask ourselves those challenging questions so that before anything goes to the board, that conversation has started. So Trey, I, I want to um, ask you about the, the role of your organization. So every nonprofit during this time, during this pandemic has been impacted by COVID-19, particularly, and there've been a number of articles written recently about the profound impact on arts organizations. Many of them depend on um, in-person live performances uh, as a key part of their business model. How has the pandemic affected your organization? So we, we have absolutely been impacted in terms of everything major and central to our programming and operations as any arts org has, and I'll define what the impact has been. But uh, I noted a moment ago that sometimes our artistic director, Tom Trini, who's, who's great, he's been with the organization 10 years, but he's sometimes two years out and no, no closer than one year out to, to booking and, and planning a season. And he always designs seasons around a particular theme. And so January of every year, I sit down with Tom as executive director and I say, okay, Tom, You've got the artistic content. Let's start to draft an annual operating budget. Let's get let's get this awesome thing funded and take it to the board. And our, our fiscal year starts July 1st. So January is admittedly early, but that gives us time to start thinking about use of funding and what the season's going to look like. And then typically by March or April, the board, uh, the relevant board committee will see a budget. I mention all that because January, we had it lined up. I snapped my fingers if you can't hear that on the podcast. <laughs> February was done. March, a global pandemic hit. And um, we hit the pause button on everything. And that first month was uh, a tough one. We, we canceled our board meeting in March and we started to think about what contracts would or would not look like. And we quickly realized everything was a big question mark. 
into the future. And as I will say, as you and I record this on September 4th of 2020, it largely still is in some ways looking into the next calendar year. But the first thing we did in terms of impact was really challenging, but we had to look at some of our contracted musicians and, and those who, who had planned to be here for certain concerts and say, um, we're going to, we're going to have to cancel that because the concept of gathering with hundreds and hundreds of people inside a sanctuary during a global pandemic, global pandemic rather, is not going to, not going to happen. So that was the first thing we did. We had to uh, make some business decisions about um, uh, not featuring certain concerts. And, and that's a tough one. If you, if you are sensing a theme, uh, it's because it, the arts are like any other industry and that there's a ripple effect. So we have a cohort of, of independent contractor from the business side, but talented musician from the spiritual heart side, a uh, cohort who these individuals are often young. They're often right out of uh, musical programs that are quite pre prestigious. They depend on this income. So, so that's part of the ripple effect as it went out. Past that, we decided to uh, think about a completely online season rather than an in-person season. And so by June, we had completely overhauled everything for a fall 2020 season. We made an intentional decision to not make any, any uh, sort of season-wide changes past January 1st of 2021. But we figured through the end of this calendar year, we, we could make some, some decisions with some level of confidence. And so we're not an online organization. We have, we have a, a wonderful video archive and a wonderful social media presence. Uh, but we're, we're, we have not ever done anything completely online, but we made that decision early. And we said, you know, it's, it's going to be easy for us to, to meet back in August of, of this year. And again, this was June when we're passing the budget and decide what we're going to do then. But let's let's make a decision and stick to it. And Greg, I want to pause here and say for anyone listening to this, there really is no right answer about what to do in terms of, of what arts orgs have done. So long as the answer is based in public health protocol and social distancing. And I say that because at the time of this recording, I know in Lincoln and nationally as well, some arts organizations are starting to do some in-person events where people are six feet apart, where the protocols there, that is awesome. Again, there's no wrong answer so long as the answer respects uh, the importance of public health. But for us, we thought this is an opportunity to be really, really innovative. And let's not just see this as a time to put all of our content online and overhaul things. And I'll, I'll describe what the content is in a moment, but we said, people always talk about accessibility in the arts. And that's, that's a phrase that's used a lot. Um, and in a very good way, right? For a physical space, it means accessing, using, being able to enjoy a physical performance hall. For us, we realized kind of back to your, your questions about what the arts can mean during a pandemic, that if we're going to go online, we should challenge ourselves to do so in a way that is making the arts really accessible to the public. So we said, let's not take any, any income. Let's not make any of these online performances uh, have any cost to them. Let's not make any of these online performances something that people have to donate to or whatnot. So automatically, once we did the season lineup, we then said on the budget, let's zero out ticketed income. And I do wanna say, it's not that ticketed income is an insubstantial income source for us. Uh, it, it's not the sole. But we, we were challenging ourselves and keep using that phrase in a good way. So then in addition to that, we said, what does it look like, quote unquote, if whilst not taking any income for any of these concerts, we highlight a different nonprofit program every single concert event 
and ask that any donations that would have come to ABBA Music go to that beneficiary agency instead. And, and, and ABBA Music, not uncommonly in the arts, people send us checks, people sometimes during a concert just make, people are very generous in the arts typically. Uh, but we wanted to say that generosity right now is so appreciated and so needed but there are incredible frontline organizations that are going to be our partners while we in the, the arts are trying to offer content that inspires. And so every concert, we chose a different nonprofit agency that's providing some level of, of nonprofit human services frontline provision. And I keep talking about the content. What we do is have a concert um, upload that is, is professionally done by a videographer and then uploaded, uh, we have a performance date where we say it's going to air next concert, for example, September 13th of this year, 4 p.m. So what that means is on our social media, on our website, the video package of that concert event will be placed online, but then it's kept there for live streaming. And anyone can watch at any point that is really important to us. So we, we've really tried to change our business model. But the last piece of this as we were moving forward was an important question to us, which was internally, you know, we can say that we're being a good neighbor in a sense through partnering with nonprofit programs, but how are we benefiting the for-profit community? And so we looked at our, our sources of revenue that come from the for-profit sector and, and the largest of those was advertising. And again, a not insubstantial amount, but something that we could, we could challenge ourselves with to reduce this year. So, Knowing that this is a time when businesses are shutting, when businesses are not just shutting, but in some cases no longer opening, we went to our 2019-2020 season advertisers. And, you know, when you go to an artistic event, the advertising booklet, you're, you're flipping through, you're seeing Act 1, Act 2, and you see all these ads. That's an important income source for most arts orgs. Uh, but we went back to our advertisers last season and said, you know what? Uh, we're not going to be doing in-person concerts, but we're still going to be having advertising benefits. What would have been a printed program book that we're going to have as a, a PDF with every concert, but we're going to renew your advertising benefits at no cost to you through December 31st, 2020. And, and I'll close my answer by saying we aren't doing this at Auburn Music. I know this sounds kind of Pollyanna-ish, but it's true. We aren't doing it for press or praise. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. We are existing at the almost 50th year because of corporate advertisers and because of the corporate community after all these years. And we're able to exist and offer amazing content year to year because Lincoln has such a robust human services nonprofit community that keeps this the amazing community it is. So we also are able to do it because, uh, and we, this is that, that phrase also that's used a lot, but has to mean something. We're trying to own our privilege. In 2003, we received a, a bequeathing of a gift that has become an endowed fund. And it's really, the, the, the amount of it is not really the, the important part of it. But the important part of this discussion is we're able to look at that and say, is there any part of our endowment income that we can use during an unprecedented global pandemic to bring in some of that, add that to our annual operating budget, still have a fully fleshed out, however lean, annual operating budget, and then be a good partner to our amazing nonprofit neighbors and be a good partner to our for-profit neighbors and still offer that artistic content to the public that is free so that in a sheltering at home, socially distanced time, people can still be inspired in the way that they've always been inspired through the arts. Something I want to follow up on that you mentioned is, is that partnership with other organizations in the community, not just, um, uh, not just other arts organizations, but as you, as you alluded to, human services organizations. We talk an awful lot, um, and I know we have on the podcast, uh, about the relationship between nonprofits and philanthropy and funders, or the relationship between nonprofits and government. Um, what we don't always think about is the nonprofit ecosystem. 
you know, how can and do other nonprofit organizations support one another? And it sounds like you've been doing that in, in really creative ways that highlight um, not only your mission and not only elevate the arts, but also bring revenue and also bring attention, awareness, understanding to the mission of other organizations that may not be in the arts at all. Yeah, I, I love that phrase, by the way, uh, the, the nonprofit ecosystem. And my my husband's a biologist, so he's going to be especially happy that I was able to use that. And <laughs> I worked because it I, Well, I, I do. And what I'm going to say is probably going to sound like a, a, an extended metaphor, but I think it's really important because if you if you use that ecosystem metaphor, I think a lot of nonprofit stakeholders and leaders unintentionally and unconsciously think of that ecosystem as pure competition, as if we're, we're all predators and, and we're all kind of eking out the same um, sort of work and trying to compete for the same resources. When in actuality, again, pardon the metaphor, but there's a lot of mutualism that goes on each and every day. And, and I think you know, I wish I could say that that ABBA music, as we had these amazing conversations, and they were, they were wonderful in, in June and, and the summer and then coming into the fall, but, but I wish we could say that um, that, that epiphany of, of, of working together in this way that you and I are describing was, was front and center. Um, it was in the sense that we're making decisions to benefit agencies, but in this way of what it really means, I think we're just now starting to realize it. So the truth is, um, we, I think, as a sector, need to veer away from that scarcity of resources model. We, as a sector, need to veer away from sort of that paucity thing that, that is understandably easy to get stuck in, but it, it's, it's really limiting when you get stuck there, when you're just thinking about um, the, the, the grants and the funding. That's an important part of what we do. I want to acknowledge that. But, but again, as we've partnered with human service organizations and as we've asked for donations to go to them, we're, we're doing that because it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. We exist because they exist. They exist because we exist. We're in different nonprofit industries. We have a mission of arts arts that, that are excellent, arts that, that unite. They might have a mission of homeless service provision or free health care. But when you look at the Lincoln community and the, the, the tapestry that is this particular community, each of our organizations is providing something that is needed and that is important, that is important, that is vital, and that adds. And so I think that's really how I'm, I'm trying to see the nonprofit sector as, as we move ahead and, and not think of any other competitor during a global pandemic as a competitor, not think of them as a competitor for dollars, a competitor for time. And, you know, I have to say it's really a win-win. One of the things, when you approach it this way, I should say, one of the things that we've noticed is that as we feature a different nonprofit agency, and, and I'll, I'll add, we, we don't just feature them. In all of our pre-event publicity, they're an equal partner. We are, we are asking everyone to donate. Time, you know, we were constantly sending out newsletter pieces and saying, here's, here's the donation page for the agency. Um, but we're working with the agency so that they can publicize it on their social media page as well. And, and then within the professionally designed video package, we don't just say, hey, go, go donate to coming up with uh, an agency called Clinic with a Heart on September 13th, go donate to, but we actually work to have their, their agency mission, vision, values, and any program they want to feature, it featured in about a four-minute interstitial video piece, so that when you're watching the video concert, you also learn about this agency, but here's where it's a win-win. Obviously, the beneficiary partner agency is, is, is winning in that way of donations and, 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 and mission fealty from people who might not have known about that, but for us, <clears throat> ABBA Music has had so many people come out and say, 
wow, I've always been a fan of all music, but you can count me as a devoted fan. What you guys are doing now and, and how you're seeing the world makes me want to attend every concert in the future. And, and again, Greg, that's not why we did it, but it shows that this is not a competitive sector solely. It's a sector that exists in co cooperation and, and mutually beneficial partnership. And that, that if you see it that way and you sort of approach it that way, especially when times are tough, especially during a pandemic or when times are down or a global downturn, uh, it, it's a win-win for everybody. And it's that saying, a rising tide lifts all ships. It really does. It really does. So um, I, I'm not sure if that's answering your great question. Yeah, about no, and, and following up on that, it's interesting, uh, just in support of what you, what you were just saying, um, you know, I do a lot of speaking at conferences or a lot of speaking for corporate groups or philanthropic groups. And I'll often ask them, you know, what is, describe for me a thriving community? What is a community that you would want to live, work, raise your family in? And inevitably, the same individuals will talk about a community with a thriving art scene or a, a community that takes care of um, marginalized populations, a, a community that is um, welcoming to those who are different. Um, and and it's, it's amazing that it's the same people. And so I think sometimes the danger in the nonprofit sector, and certainly I've been guilty of it at times as well, is to think of our supporters as just our supporters. So they just yes. support the arts, where they are just interested in human services, when in reality, just as you mentioned, individuals want to be part of a thriving community, and they see that ecosystem broadly. And so when they see nonprofit organizations like yours that are able to bring together elements that they care about, um, elements of organizations who serve the health needs of the community or the education or the environmental needs of the community, uh, that organization immediately rises in terms of its value because they are now seen as a convener. They're now seen as an entity that can bring people and groups together, which especially in these times is, is very difficult to do. Yeah, it is. I would add, I, I've always sort of spent um, time intentionally within the, the, the small nonprofits scene. And, and by that small nonprofit, that's a phrase I kind of use with, um, with a smile, but annual operating budgets of 500000 or less. Um, I think that we each sort of find our niche. And, and I, I love our, our peer brethren in the nonprofit sector that are huge and have amazing development staffs. But I mentioned kind of my career focus because when you're in that sphere, by extension, if you're an executive director, you're often also a development director, right? So I've spent yep. some time in both spheres. And I have, over the course of my career, found myself thinking kind of the way that you were talking about, which is um, this, this fealty through don donor giving that is only mission specific. And, and we're going to get our donors and our donors alone. And, and I think a lot of nonprofit development staff unintentionally at times think that way. But if I think of my own household and probably yours and many, many households, that's not how I give. I give to my church. I give to a homeless shelter in town. I, I give to a few, few arts organizations. So my quote unquote dollar goes several ways in, 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 in different directions. And yet I'm not consciously thinking at times that that's going to be true for most households that, that are giving. So I do think it's important to remind ourselves of that. And again, I think during COVID-19, that's one lesson we've learned is um, people generously give. People give because they want to. And often when someone gives, they want to give again. So how we as nonprofit professionals approach that conversation and then respond to it, I think is really key, not just right now, but for whatever the world is going to look like after the pandemic, because it, it, it's not lost on me that the decisions we make and the, the programming we offer um, will in some cases determine the sustainability and success of our programs and operations post-pandemic.
Trey, I appreciate your time today. I, I really enjoyed the conversation around um, the role of the arts in bringing communities together and Thank also you. the role of nonprofits in supporting one another. For those who want to get more information about what you're doing in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, the Abin Music and, and your role in the, in the community there, how can folks get in touch with you and learn more? Sure. So Aubin Music at First Plymouth, which is our full organizational name. We refer to it as Aubin Music, but our website is aubindmusic.org. I'll spell that out. A-B-E-N-D-M-U-S-I-K.org. We are also available on social media. We're on Facebook. Just type in Aubin Music and we'll be the first thing that comes up. And you can reach us via phone anytime at 402 476-9933, again, 402-476-9933. And if you want to reach me for anything, I love chatting about the arts and nonprofits and the world in general. My email address is Trey, T-R-E-Y, at abamusic.org. Trey, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Um, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I know others will man. as well. Um, and again, for those listening to the podcast, you can reach me anytime, um, either by email or on my website. The email address is gregory at nielsenconsults.com, website www.nielsenconsults.com. Also invite everybody to connect with us on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, love taking the conversations there and continuing the great conversations that we have on the podcast. want to encourage everybody to stay safe, stay well, and we'll talk to you soon.